Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of today's survival show. Helping you do what you can with what you have, wherever you are. Well, I'm doing this introduction here a little bit unconventional. I am on a business trip, as I often do. When I, when I do these podcasts, I'm often on a business trip, uh, cruising down the freeway in the mobile studio. But I left home without my favorite recorder and headset, so I'm talking to my iPhone here. Hopefully, uh, you can hear this pretty well. I am going to do the best I can when I edit this to take out some of the background noise. But another great interview coming up. This is about medical preps. And Mexican Joe and Fighter Doc, both of them from the forum... They've decided to get together and talk about med- medical preps. Now, first of all, many thanks to Mexican Joe. He's been doing a great job interviewing people about different subjects. I, I love it when this happens because I kind of consider my podcast a big family community. That's kind of what I consider. I consider the several thousand listeners, probably about between 4,000 and 5,000 listeners every week, last time I checked the numbers, I consider us a big, huge family. And we all have different levels of expertise. And Mexican Joe's getting pretty good at interviewing people. He's getting pretty good at finding people that have good ideas on prepping. And medical preps is something that I haven't talked about. I haven't covered much lately on uh, today's survival show. So this is a great episode on that. I'm going to do the best I can, like I said, in the editing to make it easy for you to listen to. Here we go. Medical preps, Mexican Joe and fighter doc. All right. Mexican Joe back uh, with another interview to help Bob out with some, uh, with some podcasts, help him get out there while uh, he's dealing with his family issues. Um, today, uh, from the forum, we've got uh, fighter doc on the line. Hey, how you doing? How's it going, doc? I'm doing all right. Um, we've been talking roundabouts for quite a while now, uh, well well into a year or so, I guess, on the forum, just chatting back and forth about all kinds of stuff. And um, I'm kind of trying to get together this circle of knowledge uh, on Bob's page and on the forum so people can actually ask pointed questions of us instead of just waiting for a podcast to come out. And um, you really are a fighter, Doc. That's the truth. Um, I am board-certified physician. Uh, used to be a fighter, and then I've worked with fighters, and uh, most of my patients now are fighters. Uh, I work in the, in the military, uh, active duty Air Force, work with fighter pilots, and uh, some of our special operators who get to go out and, and punch bad guys in the face. So I, I'm an actual doc for actual fighters these days. Good deal. And um, I think, uh, did, did we talk at one time and you were you were doing some in, in-flight stuff? I guess we were doing transports and stuff, too? Yep, that's true. I did a lot of training. Uh, part of my job as a flight doc, uh, I take care of, of uh, pilots, navigators, air crew, the flight nurses, uh, all those guys. And I also take care of the uh, the guys who the, the guys who transport our injured troops back and forth. And part of my job is taking care of those guys who are transported back and forth. Uh, I had the chance to do a, my last big one was out to Germany and back, uh, bringing a handful of folks back in from uh, from in the theater uh, who had been recently injured. Um, some of the injuries were a little silly and totally preventable. A um, couple of basketball-related injuries, but <laughs> as, as to be expected, there's also a handful of IED guys that were uh, were missing some parts. And that was that was tough. It was it was uh, it was good training. It was good to be a part of that. Uh, everyone got home alive, uh, and that's that's always a good thing, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we and we appreciate what you've done over there. I mean, uh, being uh, 
being a service member is hard, just as hard on the family as it is, I think, on the on the soldier airman. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, My so. daughter's five, and she's moved four times. Yeah, yeah, I remember that from when I was in. Um, one of the things that I thought was kind of neat, you know, just as far as preppers in general, is I found that most of the veterans, uh, whether they be active duty or, or, or prior service, um, tend to take prepping a little easier. Mm-hmm. Because the whole time you're in the service, you're preparing for something. Absolutely. One way or the other. Um, so, I mean, what are your feelings on that from your standpoint? You know, I think a lot of this came from, I came from a military family. My dad was cop too. Um, and so we were always getting ready for the next move. And every move we would go through our stuff and see, hey, is this something we're using? Is this something that's useful? Is this something that's worth holding on to? Um, and that, that inventory of you know stuff is useful to do on a regular basis, I think. Um, and every every move, you also can look at where are we going next? What's our next step? What's our next plan? And so I think for me, that's something that was ingrained early, early on. And I just kind of kept kept going with that. You know, I started off, uh, you know, after basic training. And, you don't spend a lot of time thinking about what's happening in eight weeks from now. You spend a lot of time thinking about when's breakfast. Yeah. Uh, and so you start to kind of get that, okay, what immediate preps. What, when do I get to eat? How soon can I eat? How much food can I put down my gullet before you know, someone comes jumping in my chili kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but then my first part of the career was I was a security forces guy. I actually worked in nuclear security, which is a really cool job. Um, you know, they let me blow stuff up, which not a lot of docs get to do anymore. <laughs> and um, and every day, we'd go out in the field, we'd work out in the missile field, we'd prepare, we would train, we would, you know, clean our munitions, we would do stuff while we were out there that is all absolutely relevant to prepping, you know, living out of a duffel bag uh, for you know, X number of days at a time. And then when we would come back, we would have a quote-unquote off day, which was time to get everything else done, and then we'd have a training day. And then you'd go out and do it again. And so it was this constant cycle of go out and get ready for things, be ready for things, do things, come back and start the cycle again. So I've always been in that cycle of, you know, prepare for what's coming next, know what's coming next, you know, when is it going to be a dog and pony show, when is it going to be something that matters, uh, focus on the real things worth preparing for, that kind of stuff. It's just, it's always been that way for me. Yeah, I, I, I never really got, I mean, I never really saw any of that until I got in the service, mm-hmm. you know, when I was 17, and then, yeah, that's all it ever is, is, is get ready, get ready, get ready, okay, let's go train a little bit, let's come back, let's fix it, let's see what worked, what didn't, rehash it, and go back over it and start all over again. Absolutely. It's that constant loop, constant cycle, reevaluation, make it better next time. You know, dump all that stuff that was fancy. Um, go with the stuff that works. If it looks stupid, and it works, then it's stupid. Yeah, that and, that and practice. Exactly. Practice, practice, practice. Um, I think a lot of my thought, you know, as a doc and as a, as a quote-unquote prepper, a lot of it's been more interested in the training and the knowledge um, than the fancy stuff you get. The toys, yeah. Absolutely. I love yeah. the toys, don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, the, toy, the toys are great, but we, we tend to... You know, it goes back to what Bob says. I mean, you, your your brain is the lightest prep you can carry because you're already carrying it, and you've got all this information, all this knowledge. But uh, it is it is disposable because if you don't use it, you, you may lose it on some things, or you, or you forget the little tricks. Because I've done things with some of the some of the classes I've done, and just hanging out here, just canning. I'm like, oh well, that didn't work out right. That's right, because I forgot this ingredient because I hadn't done it in a while. I was working the Labor and Delivery Board ward a while back, and I was talking to one of the, uh, the nurse practitioners and, and one of the nurses there, and I told her, you know, hey, I said, hey, this is, this is a perishable skill. 
if you're not catching babies on a regular basis, this is a skill that you could potentially lose. I mean, the good news is babies still come out the same way, and usually babies are going to be fine almost regardless of what the doctor does. But if something goes bad, you need to have the, that skill set, you know, your immediate action drills, if you will, right. ready to go right away. And the nurse looked at me, and she said, this is not a perishable skill. And I said, ma'am, you are a labor and delivery nurse who has done nothing but labor and delivery nursing for 30 years. Maybe for you it's not perishable. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for guys like me, it's something that we have to constantly read up on, and, and the, the manual tasks and the skills that goes with that. Uh, there's a lot of perishable skills out there, so you got to keep you know, flexing that brain muscle and, and putting new stuff in it and reevaluating what's in there. Think about what, what you were taught and does it still hold up in this situation kind of thing. Well, yeah, and some of, some of the other things I know with the medical stuff that I've recently been studying is stuff changes. Absolutely. Um, you know, CPR. I mean, nowadays CPR, they're not doing breaths. They're doing nothing but chest compressions. Yep. Um, it's actually I, proven to be pretty valid stuff. I mean, I remember it was ABC, Airway Breathing Circulation, and then it became BAC, Breathing Airway Circulation, and now it's just get the circulation going. We'll worry about the breath stuff later. Right, right, and uh, I'd, I'd taken a class online on an online uh, college course, and it was uh, cardiac arrest and hypothermia, Yeah. where you put them into a hypothermic state, because apparently when you bring somebody back from a cardiac arrest, something gets released from the brain or in the system that can actually kill you days later. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's just it's a matter of, it was one... CPR had changed, so that's where it's becoming perishable. Is because CPR had changed; it had been updated, okay. And then all of a sudden, I never thought about you know cryogenic states and, and CPR. So it was just stuff's advancing. So you're right. I mean, it's just you've got to continually train and cross train. And like me and Super Dave do, we go back and forth. He'll work on this, I'll work on that, and then we'll teach each other, you know, and everybody else in our network that we do it with. And that's that's one of the key ways to learn. I found I learned so much more when I'm teaching and sharing. Because then, you know, when somebody asks me, hey, well, what about this thing? You know, what about permissive hypothermia? The last two cycles, it was permissive hypothermia. If you've got it and it works great, you can use it. And now it's saying, maybe we should be encouraging hypothermia. Right. And uh, the American College of Cardiologists and everything, they're looking at the next cycle of what we're going to do for CPR because they're due to publish a new book to make more money. And so they're saying, well, maybe we're going to relook at this hypothermia thing. Maybe we're going to encourage it more. Maybe we're going to drop it because we get more data and as the data changes. It goes, and so I, I, I go, let's learn this, let's stay up to date on it, let's teach each other, and let's rehack on a regular basis. I learn a lot when, I, when I'm working with nurses and techs have taught me so much over the years. Um, a lot of the practical skills, a lot of the, you know, the operability of, you know, how things work in the military. Um, but I've also learned a lot from other docs who come from other specialties, and they come in there like, hey, we don't do it that way anymore, we do it this way. Or, hey, I see you like using a vertical mattress suture here. But for this type of tension, I think a horizontal mattress suture would work a whole lot better, you know. And so just the teaching skills, and then when I have to go back and teach somebody else, why does it work that way? And they ask those questions, why, why do you do it that way, Doc? Well, this is why. This is how I learned. And then you kind of bounce ideas off of each other, and you can get so much more out of that. The small group learning sessions are awesome. Well, and, and something else, though, you were talking about sutures and how you do sutures. Another thing with learning, the, the, like, the way... I've got a girl that, that does advanced, super advanced food preservation, uh, well beyond. She just does it totally different than I do it. Gardening, she's, she's well advanced in that. But what it is is it's she does it her way, and I understand it. She understands my way. But because I went, even though I knew the subject of uh, food preservation, I learned it her way, so it gave me diversity. 
There you go. See, now with you, let's just get into the conversation just as an idea of sutures. Well, if you have, if you're used to doing it five different ways, that's great. But if somebody else brings in their five different ways, then you've just diversified. Now you can apply this in many different circumstances. Well, my way wouldn't work this way, but this other guy taught me this, and I'm going to do it this way. Mm-hmm. So you just expand your knowledge base and your, you know, your group of what you've got you can work with. I think there's there's some there's some dangers going too too diverse. You know, I got you know Ethicline is one of the companies that makes the suture material and the, and the stuff, and I don't get any money from them. And they have this huge catalog of these kinds of needles and these kinds of suture kits and this kind of suture material. And is this one braided? Is this one coated? Is this you know what is this made of? And uh, when you talk to surgeons, they'll tell you this is the only way to do it with this one type of, of needle and this one type of suture material. If you do it any other way, you're a horrible person. Um, and, and I go, well, what's the right answer? And I think if and there's this huge uh, controversy in the, in the prepping community of whether or not we should even be learning to suture. Um, should we be teaching lay people to, to suture, you know, for a bad situation? I think personally my answer is absolutely yes. There's no knowledge that is not power. Let's teach everybody how to suture. But let's tell people when to suture too, and that's the trickier part. There are some people that say, "Don't ever teach somebody to suture if they're not a you know board certified physician." And I think that's ridiculous. Yeah, well, I, I had a video up. It's on my YouTube because um, we've got we've got our prepper page, and and our, my YouTube is kind of connected to that. And one of my early huh? It's Northeast Texas preppers, right? Right, right. And one of my earliest videos that I did was um, I was out in my shop, and I was. I had been processing a pig. It had been on ice for a couple of days, and I was just going to start butchering it. And you know, don't don't text and drive. Well, don't work with sharp knives and text. Yep. And I was just sitting there, and I was working on a joint, and all of a sudden, a text came in, and I looked over at the wrong second, and the knife slipped off of a joint and stabbed me through the hand. Ouch. So yeah, it kind of sucked. So it took me a little while to get the bleeding to stop. I mean, I tried uh, new skin, liquid bandit, all kinds of stuff. And finally, I just had to clean it. Um, what was it? Uh, one, of, I'd heard it somewhere, um, and it, it talks about irrigation and cleaning out the wound. And it was the solution to pollution is dilution. Absolutely. And so I, I rinsed it, rinsed it, rinsed it. You know, just got a bunch of neosporin in there, got it closed up. You know, with just bandages, and it still bled for a while. But I got it to where I was changing the bandage every day, and I had a friend who. This is a girl who was doing essential oils, but she had medical training. About three days later, she was able to come over, and she stitched my hand on my kitchen table. Nice. And I've got a video of it. It's it's about an hour-long video, um, and it was really... It was really educational because it was live. I mean, it really happened. We really did it. The the suturing wasn't as bad as her probing. Yep. Um, And I was also... Yeah. yeah, and the other thing that uh, I thought was unusual when we stitched it was the suture going through the skin from the outside going in went through easier than the, the needle coming from the inside of the skin out. Yeah. Yep. And, and I'd never thought of that. I'm like, well, that, that, that just sounds crazy. It's soft tissue on the inside. Mm-hmm. So, but we stitched it, uh, stitched it up, cleaned it up, and then she used thieves' oil, which was her own uh, her own mix. Mm-hmm. Of an essential oil, and that's what she used to deaden it, to disinfect it. Well, the whole time she did it, she applied it three or four times, and I just kept that on it uh, and kept it kept it clean. 
And to this to this day, I mean, to, for, for me to show somebody the scar, I have to lick my hand and wet it to show them. Well, it's a it's a beautiful job she did, and it's in the palm of my hand. That's all. That's, so that's to me, that's firsthand proof. Firsthand, but proof that the home suturing works. If you got a person who's got some basic training, you know, with some basic skills, you didn't need a whole you know catalog of, of different things to pick from. You know, he's got some basic skills, and I've done suturing in kitchens as well. You know, I had a a fighter pilot who, when I was in Alaska, he uh, was celebrating a little too exuberantly, and he ended up slicing open his thumb pretty good. Yeah. You know, come on over, put it together in the kitchen. You know, no big deal, no harm, no foul, no bill. Um, yeah, no bill. That's right. Goes back to you know, goes back to flying F-16s. Life is good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a- another one. I seem to be the punching bag around here <laughs> because. Not not too long ago, this is probably just a couple months ago, Super Dave was over here and we were just unloading some sheet metal that we were going to use for some targets down on the range. And he was unloading it to one side of the truck and I come walking up behind him, you know, and he's like, well, what about this other last piece? I'm like, yeah, go ahead and throw it over there with the other ones. Well, he'd been unloading to his right. Well, as he unloaded this last piece, for some reason he spun left and I walked right into it. Ouch. And he caught me, be- yeah, he caught me below the eye. Ah. Uh, right in the cheek, and he, you know, you know, like, oh, dude, you got me. And he's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And I took about two steps, and it was all over. Yep. A head wound will bleed like nothing, and you know that. Yep. Bleeds like stink. Bleeds like stuck pig. Oh man, it was bad. Yeah. By the time, and I've got a bathroom in my shop. By the time I got there, it looked like he'd cut my throat. <laughs> and basically, all I did was I just washed it out, um, just got it cleaned out, um, and then basically. I had to have have him and another friend of mine there to help me because I pinched it shut, mm-hmm. took an alcohol prep pad, wiped it clean. Of course, it was still trying to bleed. Yep. Um, I hit it with uh, New Skin, which is a liquid Band-Aid solution. It's crazy glue with an antiseptic in it. I love it. Walmart sells it. Yep. I use that, and then it says not to use butterflies or Steri-Strips. Oh, I would have used them in our I used it anyway, yeah. I threw about six of them on there. It was ugly. It was on there for about four days. And and then the only way you take the new skin back off is to put fresh new skin on, and it melts the old stuff. And I guess I went into the doctor just for just for one of my regular checkups, I don't know, about two months later. And, you know, she's like, oh, how's it been going, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, by the way, here. I said, this right here, we... Uh, this is what happened, and this is what we did. And she looks. She's like, that's amazing. She goes, that looks. She goes, you've got a little scar. It's not bad. She goes. She goes. And I said, yeah, I didn't want to come in because one, you're going to charge me an arm and a leg. Mm-hmm. And I said, and then you were going to stitch it. And she's like, yeah, we would have. She goes, and this. She goes, that scar looks as good, if not better, than if we had stitched it. Yep. So yeah, I mean, again, I mean, I, I agree that you know you need some training. You don't just go out there and do it. But I think that everybody needs to, you know, at least have basics in suturing. I mean, I don't think I'd do it to a stomach wound or anything because you've got more stuff going on. But if it's just, if it's just meat and skin, and I think you even hit something that's even more important than, than basic suturing is, you know, the solution, solution, solution. If you've got a wound, a, a skin wound, and it's, you don't have body parts coming out, there's no muscle or tendon or intestines coming out. Flush it with water. Flush it with clean water. Soap and water. You know, kind of get it clean, make sure that it's just, you know, skin and, and maybe a little bit of fat. And if it's just skin and fat and it's clean, you know, try your butterflies. Uh, try your stereo strips. Try your, 
you know, your new skins. And if these things are working for you, you know, if you, the alcohol pad works for a couple of different reasons, you know. And if you direct pressure is the other one, if these tricks work and it stops the bleeding and it's, it's not going to have a horrible, you know, disfiguring scar or it's not close to something super important like your eye, you know, then I would say you've won. You, you have prepared, you have survived something because you've, you've done basic first aid. If we can get most people in America to get basic first aid principles, you know, soap, water, clean, you know, dress a wound, apply direct pressure if it's still bleeding kind of stuff, we'd be way better off. And the doctors could worry more about the people that are dying in the VA center or whatever. Right, right, the real, the real problem. And, and I guess that I've got a border on it when I get into, when I get into first aid, there's first aid. And what I consider that I do now and what I train and teach and all that is what I call advanced first aid. Yep. Because sutures are not first aid. No. <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're advanced. I mean, and you're supposed to have all these certificates and all this to do this stuff. But to me, at the same time, like, I can handle it. We can do it. It's advanced. I mean, mm-hmm. if you can do it at the house, like you said, you know, if there's not body parts hanging out, you know, pretty much you can you pretty much usually handle it at the house. And yeah, and then again, like you said, free up the free up the doctors for the for the people who really need it. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, a lot of guys have kind of shied away from the skin staples lately. Um, but for for head wounds, for wounds that are going to heal nicely anyway, that bleep like stink, throwing a couple of staples on there, and you can buy the staples. Uh, and it's not like a regular you know paper staple, but they make skin staples and they make skin staplers that are disposable. You can buy them on Amazon for twelve bucks. Oh no, I got a tractor supply. There you go, there you go. Yeah, tractor supply, because out here people are stitching up cows and pigs and dogs and whatever. Yeah, I buy a lot of my supplies from tractor supply. I get my my syringes. I've got multiple different syringes, all different gauges of needles for whatever I may need them for, scalpels, uh, staples, staple guns, disposables, and then all of my sutures I get, and, and my suture kits, I get it from Amazon. There you go. I think I got a. It's like seventy five. Inside, inside the Beltway, and I haven't found a tractor supply company in here yet. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> so for now, I'm, I'm having to deal with Amazon, but yeah, back in the other place, I'm a huge fan. Tractor supply store is like my Walmart. I get in trouble in there, and you know, I'm trying to leave with chickens, and my wife says, "No, we're just here for you know whatever." <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna. Yeah, I, I doubt they're. I, I, I'm sure this is here in the Beltway. Tractors are illegal because they burn diesel. That's right. And car washes. I just found out the city I'm in, car washes require a permit now. So, um, A what? A permit? Yeah. If you're going to do a car wash and you're going to wash more than one car, you need to go to the city and get a permit. Uh, and there's a, a fee associated with it. And I just installed my alarm system because I'm one of those guys. And I just found out I've got a, a fee and I've got to have it cleared through the, the uh, city council. Yeah. Um, there's a, where's the fee? It's like a $25 registration fee for having a home alarm that I installed myself. Yeah, and and if you go over so many alarms in a calendar year, blah blah blah. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's kind of mine and Bob's industry there. So yeah, yeah, but everybody's got to get their couple dollars in. Yep. So I'm eager to do my time inside the Beltway and get back to the real world. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean that, that that's you know all really good stuff. I mean just getting into all the you know the sutures and the advanced medical. My medical kits are way advanced. Um, something you would you you come up with is you wanted you had a couple of things you wanted to talk about. One was you said you want to talk about a couple of the outbreaks. Sure. So I think one of the things that, that uh, people in the prepping community get nervous about is, you know, zombie apocalypse. When is the next, you know, government-defined uh, virus going to come wipe us all out? And uh, For those of you guys who are tinfoil hatters out there, uh, put on your chin strap because HIV, if it was created by the government, just lost 100 of its top uh, scientists in that last uh, MI-17 shootdown. Um, 
under-the-top HIV scientists who were potentially getting close to a vaccine uh, just got shot down over Russia this week, so or last week. Really? That's who was on the plane? That's who was on the plane. There was a lot of HIV guys heading to, uh, to Australia. So if you're in the world of conspiracy, holy smokes. If you just think it was a horrible accident, which is probably where it really was, um, it's still bad news for the medical community. Um, for the rest of us who aren't uh, convinced that the government's trying to wipe out civilization with HIV, there's a lot of uh, other outbreaks that are happening, and they, they seem to be constantly rolling. So um, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they've got some pluses and minuses, but one of my favorite places to hang out with them uh, is the MMWR, uh, Mike Mike Whiskey Romeo, the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report. And you can have it set up to email you to your house, and it'll tell you every week, hey, these are the outbreaks that are going on. Um, this is what's new and exciting. Um, their current issue is more talking about pedestrian traffic deaths, so that's not super exciting. But if you dig into it a little bit, it talks about uh, the pneumonic plague making an outbreak in Colorado. Um, that's the bubonic plague from back in the day. Uh, if it affects your lungs, you get the pneumonic plague. And it's, uh, back in the day, it was almost universally fatal. Um, and so you hear outbreak of pneumonic plague, and the doctor, we all get really excited about it because, holy smokes, the plague, it's, you know, Middle Ages all over again. Um, this outbreak was only four people, so not a huge outbreak, and uh, they all survived. So that's good news, and it looks like the outbreak has been abated since then. But it's one of those ones that you hear about, and you go, holy smokes, I didn't even know I needed to be worried about that. What should I even be worried about? So it wasn't just four guys who, like, got really, really high. No, no, these were four guys that got the pneumonic plague. No kidding. Um, and they got it from a dog because pneumonic plague is carried by fleas. Uh, and that was, you know, the whole thing that was the issue in, in Europe was the, the rats had the fleas. And right. when the rats were dying off, the fleas got on the people, and that's how the plague is transmitted. Um, the bug is Yersinia pestis, for those of you who guys are Jeopardy nerds. And it's the same bug that affects, you know, can affect your lungs, pneumonic plague, your intestines, gastrointestinal plague. It usually just affects your skin. That's the bubonic plague where you get the weird lumps. Um, but, yeah, it's carried by fleas, and we still have it in the United States. It still exists. Uh, usually hangs out in the prairie dogs, which is why Colorado is where they usually pop up. Uh -huh. um, the last the last plague death in the United States, if I'm not mistaken, was at the Air Force Academy in Colorado uh, a few years back as a little girl. So, you know, it's one of those things where if you got prairie dogs on your property, it might be worth doing something about that. Um, don't hang out with flea-infested flea dogs. You know, take care of your dogs, uh, and they'll take care of you. Um you know, give your dog a flea bath. You know, I'm okay with a couple of fleas, but if you got a flea-infested dog that's bringing me, you know, prairie dog fleas and the plague, and maybe the dog and I have a conversation with a bat. So yeah, well, and then you know, and that that right there, I guess that's another one. I mean, I've I've seen the things about uh, prepping with with pets, mm -hmm. and I'm like. Yeah, when, you know, I don't like animals in the house. You know, cats are out, fine outside, dogs are fine outside. But that's something I guess nobody ever thinks of is fleas. Well, you know, you're going to have fleas. Okay, you can get flea powder stuff now. Yep. You know, people are worried about, oh, I've got to have a 55-gallon drum of dog food for my puppy. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, make sure you have flea powder. Yeah, that's. I think that's something that people miss. Yeah, keep your dogs, um, you know, clean, well-fed, well-watered. You know, you don't have to have them sleeping in your bed with you. Um, if they do sleep in your bed with them, you better make sure they're, they're defleed and take the ticks off, too. Um, there was a, an article last week that came out. There's a couple of folks who think that Lyme disease may be the next big chronic disease plague that we are faced with. And, of course, Lyme disease is carried by ticks. Um, the deer tick carries it. Uh, and there's a lot of Lyme. There's been a big upswing in Lyme disease recently. Uh, I don't know that it's something that is the next big plague that's going to wipe out humanity, but it's, it's a can be chronic in some forms, and it's a huge deal for folks that are dealing with it. So 
you know, that's another one. Hey, dogs carry ticks. You know, make sure you're you're checking yourself for ticks and fleas on a regular basis. You know, don't don't get eaten by little bugs because uh, they carry even smaller bugs that are more dangerous. Yeah, see, and we're, we're us out here in Northeast Texas. I mean, we've got fleas and ticks and chiggers and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that I tend to do, I, I try to. I'm not. I don't go nuts about doing uh, organic, but I like to do stuff with as few chemicals as possible. Yep. You know, when possible. And what I like using is DE, diatomaceous earth. Yep. And it's just all it is is just ground up fossils, and it's just a powder. It's it's almost like talcum powder, but crustaceans it it, it tears their exoskeleton up, and it dries them out, and it kills them. So like with my chickens that are running around the yard, every time I see them taking a dust bath, I'll go over and drop a spoon of DE. In a little dust bath hole, so then that keeps everything off of them. I mean, the cats get it, the dogs get it, and it's edible. If you get the food grade, it's edible. So even if you ate some of it, it's not going to hurt you at all. If you've got bugs in your bloodstream, you know, I mean, we clean a lot of animals. And I don't care what time of the year it is, you're going to open something up and it's going to have a worm here and there. Unless it's worm infested, just don't worry about it. Cook it well. Well, ice it down. We usually ice everything down for three to four days in water. Yep. You know, that pulls it out, yeah, and cook it well, yeah, and you're, you know, but the DE is just my natural way of dealing with a bunch of that. And there's a lot of good evidence for that. Uh, the modern medical community, um, which I'm sometimes a member of, I've never been a member of AMA because they and I haven't agreed since day one, um, but the DE discussion, the AMA is, you know, it's horrible, it's, the, it's worse than eating dirt, okay, well, it is dirt. You know, but, you know, as far as what it does to bugs, huge fan, you know, use it on the chickens. The chickens are supposed to be eating bugs. The bugs aren't supposed to be eating your chickens. Right. Um, and I think you had a, a, something else there, too. There's been this outbreak. And I want to say it was, it was crypto uh, along the border there that we kind of talked about a little bit earlier. Um, and the feral hawks. Uh, so I, I was saying that, you know, hey, make sure you're, like you said, you freeze your, your pigs down, get them nice and full. You cook the meat well. Uh, and that's honestly been the, the big thing that stops that outbreak. Uh, most of the cases that they found of the guys that were getting hit with crypto um, from the undercooked pork was most of the feral hogs, and the key there was undercooked. You know, well, so okay, look, it's easy. Cook things well, clean things well. Um, you know, don't eat poop, and you'll be all right. Well, let's go. Let's back up a little bit. Now, you you'd mentioned keeping like we we kind of stumbled upon this. This isn't something we learned. This is something we found on our own. We don't have big, big hanging coolers that you can hang your deer up and it'll hang for three days and all that stuff and age before you clean it, before you uh, butcher it up. We just went out and bought these big old huge body coolers. Every one of us has one. And when it comes to cleaning an animal, you, you clean it, you skin it, you rinse it, and then we quarter them and we throw them in these coolers and we just cover them in ice. Awesome. And for some reason... And we've got kind of a, a way to get ice pretty cheap, if not free, is that we keep them iced down for three days. And I've had people tell me, oh, yeah, don't let them sit in the water. And like, no, no, you want the water because the water's pulling the blood out. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have, I don't care if it's, a, if, it's a, if it's a boar, a sow, a deer, a buck, a doe, whatever. We don't care. We've never had a gamey animal. Awesome. So is, is, so is the, how is the cooling effect of it? How does that relate to the cooking effect? You know, you got me on that one. I honestly couldn't tell you, but I do know by cooling it, a lot of the bugs and the parasites, it'll either kill them outright or they're going to go find another place to hang out. So for me, it's more of a safety thing um, than, a, than a taste thing, to be honest. Okay. But yeah, you got to get the bugs out early uh, and then cook them well to, to take care of whatever's left. Because there are some, some bacteria and some parasites 
that do just fine in the cold. Um, there are some, there's, there's actually one that does really well, and if you douse it in alcohol, it'll form a spore, and it'll be just fine in that situation. And then when it warms up again, it does just fine. So there's things that we, we are learning now in medicine that we were trying to use to kill bacteria and parasites that are actually not effective and may actually make things worse. So the icing things down, the cooking things appropriately, that seems to be where the money's at. Okay, and, and you just mentioned something there, is that you, you, you were dealing with something, and what you thought was working wasn't working, and that's going to lead me into something that's going to ask your opinion on something else. Okay. I am not a big medicine guy. Um, if I've got a little headache, I just go drink some water, eat a banana or whatever, just let, see if I can let it wane out before I go jumping into ibuprofen and all this other stuff. There you go. Um, antibiotics. Oh, boy. A lot of people are just, just I mean... They just, I don't care if it's hay fever or whatever, they're got, oh, I can just go take a pill and I'll be fine. I'm like, listen, let's just see if it's just, you know, you got close to a cat and you're allergic to cats and it's not hay fever. You know what? Get away from the cat. Yep. You know, see if you can do as much as you can until you are miserable without medication. Mm-hmm. And if you can do it without medication and, and do it or do it naturally, I mean, I'm a big essential oil guy and, you know, if you use three drops of this of this oil, you know, it, it, it'll relieve your headache. It'll do this. It'll do that. It's all natural stuff. I just, I'm not a big fan of medications. You know, what's your what's your take on that with not just antibiotics, but medicines in, in general? So honestly, one of the things that um, I don't want to say gets me in trouble, but sometimes causes some some fairly assertive discussions amongst my patients is, hey, I've had this sinus cold for a day, and my husband is somebody important, or my my wife is somebody important. Therefore, I need antibiotics now because it was going to turn into a horrible sinus infection in a couple of weeks. Um, and I tend to start shy away from medicine. Um, you know, for headaches, I tell people make sure you're drinking plenty of water. Most headaches are dehydration related in America. Americans are horrible about drinking water. We'll drink our, our cokes and our sprites and our Mountain Dews all day. Um, then we'll get our, our you know mochaccino uh, withdrawal headaches later. Uh, drink some water. You know, the banana, the potassium issue is, is well documented. You know, so banana, water, um, some folks a little bit of caffeine will make a huge difference. Have a cup of coffee. Um, you know, so much of what we do, there was a, I wish I could remember the guy's name. He said, he's one of the old Greek doctors who was a philosopher kind of guy. And he said, let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food. You know, so it was kind of one of those things that early on, doctors who were thinkers realized most of the best things we can do for ourselves is provide our bodies with good nutrition, good hydration, take care of ourselves. You know, and of course, their options back then were pretty limited, you know, lead, silver, and um, leeches. We've gotten a little bit better since then, but, you know, now there's actually some silver and leeching coming back into modern medicine. But, uh, yeah, I think the, the right answer is, is not reaching for ibuprofen for every little thing. Um, and, you know, the overuse of antibiotics, I'm a member of the American Academy of Family Practice, our family physicians, and um, they're actually uh, working with the, the executive office right now and potentially coming up with a plan to address the, the rampant overuse of antibiotics. Um, their first target is the, the cattle industry. You know, our, our meat growers in America, our food is, is doused in chemicals and doused in antibiotics long before um, it gets to our table. And, uh, and that's where a lot of, and that's the current scientific theory is that's where most of our antibiotic resistant organisms are coming from, is from these giant farms where the cattle are kept in troughs and, and they're pooping on each other and they're feeding stuff that wasn't meant for cows to eat and they're overdosed with antibiotics on a daily basis. And then, and then you, and then you turn around and throw a GMO grain in there and. Yeah, cows aren't eating grass anymore. Yeah. So, 
and it's it's a big mess. And so they're looking at maybe having uh, the executive office make some kind of action um, extra legislatively to affect the the cattle growing industry and make them stop using antibiotics. Uh, and I go, well, it's bad in the cattle industry. It's bad in the in the meat industries in America in general. Uh, but it's just as bad in, in medical centers. Everyone that shows up, like you said, hey, I've got hay fever, I've got the sniffles, well, here's your z pack. Yeah. And I've had people come in and say, hey, I've got a, a cold, and the only thing that works for my cold is a z pack. And he, you try to explain to them the difference between, you know, hey, a z pack does nothing for a virus. Right. You know, that's azithromycin is the generic name. I'm a huge fan of the antibiotic. It does a lot of good things. But one of the things that we're starting to see, uh, and we see this a lot, and especially in Southeast Asia, the overuse of azithromycin for colds and flus has actually led to antibiotic-resistant sexually transmitted infections now. So azithromycin is also great for STIs, and we're finding now that, hey, gonorrhea and chlamydia may no longer be treatable with the antibiotics we've been using for a decade. Yeah. So it's, it's leading to more outbreaks of things we can't handle because we're over-prescribing medicines for everything. And i got to tell you, the folks that think they're going to stockpile enough medicine for six months, that's a really tricky proposition. Even if you go out and get your fish antibiotics or whatever, um, that's going to be really tricky to do, to have blood pressure medicine and antibiotics for you and your family or your, you know, your prepping group for six months, a year. That's really hard to do, really expensive to do, um, and storing that stuff can be uh, pretty tricky. Well, see, and on that, I, when I got divorced, I lost, in like two months, I lost 40 pounds. Hey, there you go. Yeah, and you know everybody was like, "Oh, you know, of course, my doctor thought I was doing dope and all kinds of stuff." And I'm like, "No, I'm, I'm not eating box food." There you go. And I was just, I was cooking, I was eating fish, I was eating deer, hog, whatever, and I was, you know, I was eating better. But something else is, um, I was, I started growing my own herbs. Mm-hmm. So I've got basil, oregano, mints, all kinds of stuff. And if you start getting into some of that, you know, uh, here's one, uh, Super Dave's son is diabetic. Mm-hmm. And I was doing some, we were all kind of researching that a little bit and seeing what we could do for that. Well, I came to find out uh, through doing some of my research that rosemary, which grows like crazy out here in northeast Texas, if you, rosemary helps the sugar transfer in the body. Mm-hmm. So basically, we basically came up with, yeah, you guys have got to get a bunch of rosemary plants, get them in the ground, get them going to where they grow like crazy. And I sometimes I go out and I'll clip mine, dehydrate it, save it, and then I've got fresh rosemary. But that kid needs to be eating rosemary in just about everything he eats. Hey, to, well, there's to, a lot of research now on cinnamon and diabetes. Right. And so if you use these natural things, you can drop your insulin usage. So that's that's the one you are using less insulin now, but later on in a possible catastrophe, you can stretch your insulin by using by over you know doing more uh, uh, rosemary and cinnamon and anything else you can come up with. And one of the things I think plays a huge role in it, and this thing that you and I know, when you grow your own herbs, they're yours. They taste better. They're fresher. They're not GMO'd and transported at 1,500 miles, stored in refrigerated trucks. They're fresh. They're awesome. The taste is better. It makes your food taste better. The food is more satiating. You don't feel like I need three hamburgers. You're just fine with a couple of burgers. Right. And you find yourself eating less because the food is better and more satisfying with your own herbs and stuff that you grew or you, you went and harvested yourself from, you know. The food is better if it's yours. And then you eat less and then you drop 40 pounds, you know, and then suddenly your blood pressure goes down. You have yep. fewer headaches. 
you're eating less garbage, you're more active, you have more energy. I think that's where the real medicine is. You know, when, when food is our medicine, we're taking good food, local, natural, organic, less chemicals involved. It makes a world of difference. Uh, and, and modern medicine doesn't doesn't like that because that's not something that we can control. We can't. Well, we can't. We can't make money on that. Yeah, I can't bill you for your own organic. You know, rosemary that you're growing in your garden. Well, yeah. I mean, I'll take Go I, to insulin shock. That's huge. ICU stay for a couple of days. That's bank. Yeah. Oh, well, see, it's like my rosemary plants, and again, I mean, I'm sure some of this is, is a little GMO-ish, but, I mean, my basil plants and my rosemary, I'll go to Walmart and I'll buy them, and they're $3 for a little pot, and they got three plants in them of basil, or my rosemary is like 3 bucks, and I'll plant it in the ground, and now I've got seven of them, and they're huge. My basil, my, if, if, some, if people go to the grocery store and look at a little container of basil and find out that it's four dollars and come to find out I paid three fifty for three plants that I turned around and I kept spreading out and I get I think every year I probably end up with three or four of the big Parmesan cheese containers there you go. full of dehydrated basil. Yeah, basil, I, we, we were just in Ohio, and my wife, my wife loves basil. We do a lot of you know homemade pizzas kind of thing, and the basil just took off and went nuts. We had we had bushes of basil in the backyard. Yeah, and we were we were making you know uh, basil pesto. We were putting basil, fresh basil, on everything. And you'd walk by the store, and you see a little organic container that's got like four leaves in it, like organic basil. It's three ninety nine, and you just kind of chuckle as you as you know back home. You've got it dehydrated. You've got some in the freezer. You've got some made in the pesto, and you've got tons more coming up. Oh yeah. So, it's change your world. Well, I mean, I mean, the easiest ones for me. I mean, I just, I, I've got a friend. I just gave her a big old pot, and I said, put, put this in your kitchen window. Yep. And it's basil. It was oregano. She had rosemary outside. I gave her rosemary years ago. That's just taken over her whole backyard. But just the stuff is just, it tastes good. I mean, I've had people come. I've had people come up and visit, you know. And, and we have big prepper weekends here where we do all kinds of training. And these guys, you know, you get some of these guys that come out of Dallas, and they go, "What's the matter with your eggs?" I'm like, well, "What do you mean? Why are they that color? Why are they orange?" I'm like, "That's the color of an egg." No, my eggs are yellow. Yeah, because your eggs are full of chemicals. I mean, I know that people, you know, some some people can't have chickens running around all over. They keep them cooped up. Um, my feed bill is really low. I think that my chickens probably eat maybe ten, maybe twenty percent that I actually feed them. Other than that, it's Table scraps, bugs, seeds. I mean, they're running around about two or three acres, scratching everything up, keeping my property all, all the soil aerated, and they're fertilizing my soil, and yet I get great eggs. I get a dozen eggs a day. And those are that's what chickens were designed to do. Right. And everyone's happy in that circumstance. Yeah. And when people start seeing how easy, you know, chickens is probably more level two, but, you know, growing a pot of, of basil, oregano, and thyme, or rosemary in your windowsill, that's like super easy, basic prepper stuff. You do that, and that'll start kind of wetting the whistle, I guess. Hey, this is how easy this little piece is, and look at the difference it's made in your life. Now imagine if you had a small garden, maybe just a couple of feet, a couple of herbs, no big deal. And then you start going, now imagine some chickens and some fresh eggs that you know what the chicken ate. Right, 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 right. I thought, yeah, I had a chance to talk with a guy from the FDA a while back. And, um, and he no longer eats a lot of things uh, because of the inspections he's done. And he looked at where we were getting a lot of our food, the American food source. And he was down in Thailand, which is where we get a lot of our tiger shrimp um, and where a lot of our chicken actually comes from. And he, he showed a picture of uh, a bunch of chicken crates 
that were just basically small cages where the chicken couldn't stand up, couldn't move, um, and they were fed this kind of feed um, from the actual little cooler buckets, you know, and I don't know what was in the feed. He didn't really talk about that a whole lot. But the droppings from the chicken would go into the water, and the water was what the shrimp were eating. You know, so you got you got shrimp and some catfish growing in this water, and they're living entirely off of chicken poop. And some of the stuff that was in the chicken feed was the recycled carcasses of the catfish and the shrimp that died, and they couldn't then be sold to market. And so you get the cycle, and you're like, this is not how it was supposed to be. This is this sounds like mad cow disease of chickens. Yeah. Or or or, 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 or a hydroponic system gone bad. Absolutely, yes. And this is where avian flu comes from, is a lot of Southeast Asian... Um, and then you have these giant chicken farms and these giant swine herds, and they're all so crammed, so close together. And the people, uh, you know, the workers there, they're just trying to make a buck, and I, and I get that. But they're walking in and amongst the birds, walking in and amongst the chickens. They have no, not wearing gloves, not wearing respirators, you know, and they're breathing this stuff in. And so when you hear about the next swine flu or avian flu pandemic, it's most likely going to come out of Southeast Asia where you have these giant Mad Max chicken farms that are, you know, they're eating each other's poops and carcasses, and then if it lives long enough to make it out of the cage, it's coming to America for us to eat. Good luck with that. Yeah, yay us. <laughs> yeah. Now, apparently, apparently, uh, we're we're on the forum on Bob's forum quite a bit because you said you said something there a minute ago and it ca- it caught my ear because it was oh. something I had said. You said that chickens are a level are a level two. Right, right. We talk about the soft prepping versus hard prepping. Yeah, a, a level one prepper is just typical to us, and this is something that David come up with. And a, a level one prepper is basically just somebody who puts food away and and you know may do some buckets and this and that, but they don't do the garden. They don't do the chickens. They don't do other stuff. And some people go, well, well, I, you know, I built a monster bug out vehicle, but I don't have a garden or chickens. Okay, you just that that that's just a reason to build a truck. Yeah. But that's yeah, okay. I support building trucks, but have some chickens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, and see, that's that's one of the things I I kind of really push is being a well balanced prepper. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, most guys are going to go into the guns right off the bat. Well, you know, and I'm like, okay, I'm good with that. But you've got you've got to eventually be able to say, oh, I probably don't need another gun, but I probably need a couple of chickens. Yep. Um, I'm. My new thing, I mean, I, I'm probably the only guy that I know of that says I don't need another gun, unless it's like, you know, a really good deal, then I'll look at it. But my yeah, thing I is... I saying that the other day. I said, I think I'm good on guns. Of course, now I'm talking with the guy from Crusader Weaponry because I clearly needed some therapy. <laughs> you know, because I needed another gun. But the moral of the story is I think so many folks get focused on the cool parts. Give me a big bug out truck. Give me a cool AR-15 platform with, with you know, my tactical margarita mixer or whatever on it. Right. And, and you mentioned the food, you know, the food, the water, the security preps. People love those things because they're kind of fun. And if you've got a couple of buckets of Mountain House in your basement, you feel like a prepper. But the, I think probably the most neglected of the preps is medical. I'm just being honest. How many people yeah. have a first aid kit in their home? Well, I saw a study the other day that said 42% of Americans readily admit they have no first aid kit and no first aid training. See, 42%. See, and when I do when I do my preps, it, my stuff be, tends to become like a quarterly fetish. There you go. Um, when I did medical, when my, when I came up with my advanced first aid kits, it was after the girl had stitched my hand, mm-hmm. and I went to Sam's, and they had a really good, like OSHA approved hang on the wall first aid kit. Sweet, I like it. And I bought it and I put it in my bathroom in my shop. 
Well, then, and, and while I had that, I was building medical kits. So I had my bug out medical kit. And then I said, oh, I think I like this bag better. So I went to another bag. And then I didn't like it. So I checked out one of the side. I've got five medical bags. Awesome. I've got one in my truck. I've got one that sits right inside the front door of the house. I've got what I call my doctor bag. There you go. And it's a it's where all of my medical overflow gear goes. And I want to say 50% of the gear that's in that bag I am not qualified or trained at all to use. It's for when I find a doctor. There you go. See, so you're boss level prepper when it comes to medical. And that's that's hugely awesome. A lot of guys say, well, why should I buy this medical bag? It has stuff I'm never going to know how to use. Well, for one, get something. You know, all these, these 42% of Americans that have nothing... Go to Walmart now, buy a 5 or $10 yeah. basic first aid kit with some Band-Aids and antiseptic wipes and tweezers and a pair of scissors. And you've started somewhere. 5 or $10, bucks, it will get you a basic start. Well, and then and if you do that every payday, then you yeah. get one for the house, one for each vehicle, one for a shop if you've got it. You know, it's like another one that I tell people is, okay, a case of water is 3 bucks. Yep. Uh, you need to have a case of water in every single vehicle under the seat. Yep. Done. You know why? Because like Bob says, you know, you can be broke down with a flat tire. You know, well, it's, you know, it's 108 in Texas. Okay, well, what are we going to do? Well, I'm going to change this tire. Well, you're going to be there for 30 minutes. Okay, well, man, I'm thirsty. Well, there's a case of water under the seat. Oh, okay. And it may be hot, but hey, you're, you'll hydrate. And if you don't have that water, you got your headaches, you got your knee cramps, you got your muscle aches, you know, and suddenly you don't feel like changing it. And now you're stranded because you didn't have a glass of water. It's not zombie apocalypse, it's a busted tire. We've all had that. Right, I mean, and, and you know, we, well, one is you're hydrating, but then all of a sudden it's like, man, it's 108, I'm hot out here. Pour a bottle of water over me. There you go. Just, you know, cool me from the outside. So, you know, so my, my, my medical bags were one of mine for a while. And I've, I've kind of phased out of that, but I still can't go to tractor supply without buying <laughs> something, you know, for my medical kits. Um, I think a lot of folks get stuck. They want to, you know, they hear hear guys like you, and we have all this, you have all this training and experience, and you know what goes in your medical kit, and it's super easy to get overwhelmed and go, well, I don't know what kind of scalpel to buy for my medical kit. Uh, you know what? At Tractor Supply, they only sell one kind. I'm assuming they're 11 blades or 15 blades. I don't know. They're in a foil wrapper. <laughs> you know what? You know what I found out when I first opened one up? Them some bitches are sharp. There you go. You know, and don't mess with them. Don't play with them. Put them in your bag. Leave them in the wrapper. When the time comes, use, a, I mean, a tenth of the pressure you think you're going to need. Yes. You know, that is one thing. That is not That is not your pocket knife. No, we this we is scalpels like a pen or like a pencil, not like a knife. Right. It, it is a, I mean, I don't think people understand that when they say this is surgical grade blade, they don't understand it. If you put pressure on it, you're going to the bone. Yeah, it's going through something. Yeah, so... And I can tell you, honestly, if it comes time... Now, I've, I've been in some places where I didn't have a choice of what blade and a choice of what suture. And so you get used to what using what you've got kind of thing. Um, and even reusing some stuff from time to time. And it honestly doesn't matter if it's a 10 blade or a 15 blade. If you need a blade, I'll take an 11. You know, these are all just different surgical shapes of the blades. When you need a blade, you need a blade. And it doesn't really matter. So have a blade. You know, if you're working on a, a suture kit and you're not sure if you need a reverse cutting, you know, CT3 or if you need a, you know, a braided nylon, get some basic suture material, basic nylon, you know, basic straight needle kind of stuff. If you get the basics first, like you said, even if you're not exactly sure how to suture and you've got a basic suture kit, again, Amazon sells them wicked cheap. You can buy them by the box. Yeah, yeah, my kit, my kit, I want to say that I for $70... 
I want to say I bought 200 assorted suture kits. Nice. And I was like, okay. And then all I did was I just put them in my overflow bag, and I would start sifting through them. And, I, uh, of course, you know, I, I did the Dave Virgo thing where I, where I, you know, did my 1-0 silks and my nylons, and I separated them all out in little snack bags. And I just gave myself an assortment, you know. So, you know, it, it, Amazon sells everything. Yep. And if you go to Bob's Amazon page, then that's you know, helps Bob. And, yeah, and that's, that's the way I do it, too. Um, and if you're totally overwhelmed with, I don't know what suture, I don't know what blade, I don't know what whatever, they make prepackaged kits. I would recommend start with your 5 or $10, you know, Walmart basic first aid kit. Right. But there are a lot of agencies out there, and I don't know if I'm allowed to mention names, like, you know, you know Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Oh, yeah, they're awesome. Angel Tactical, um, Dark Angel Medical, I think is what they're called. There's a bunch of them out there uh, that are great. Any of the camping sites have first aid kit. Brownell sells them. Um Midway USA sells them. So a lot of the, the gun and camping stuff, they sell basic first aid kits, some more advanced ones. And so I would say start with the 5 or $10 one. When you've got the funds and more interest, get the next level up if you're not willing to, and you don't have the experience or the know-how and, a, and someone to help you build your own. But have something, for crying out loud, because, you know, the IFAX and individual first aid kits out there, sometimes they were you, for you to use on yourself. Sometimes it was for the guy who found you to use on you. So have right. something. right. Yeah, because that's one of the things that we're big on is, is that when we go out and we, we're doing field tactical training or whatever, yeah, everybody's got to have a first aid kit, and then we typically got three medics. There you go. Because we've got people that are, are, are you know, are EMT trained and stuff, so we've got three or four guys, and they're like, okay. And the guy that was actually a corpsman is not, he's not our, our first-line medic. Somebody else is because awesome. he's doing something else. So it's, it's, it's fun. Yeah, I tell you what, three EMTs, I could change the world. I would rather have them than a, a psychiatrist any day. <laughs> yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> I'm like, hey. This is a big thing, too. People don't talk about the psychological health, you know. And a lot of that, I think, comes from being prepared before you need to be prepared. You know, your, your spiritual, your mental well-being kind of stuff, get that stuff squared away. Your physical fitness plays a huge part in that. You know, stay healthy, eat healthy. You know, think about the future, but don't worry about the future. Plan for it kind of stuff. If we get our, our psychological well-being put together well in advance, I think we'll be, you know, far and away. Because i got to tell you, when things get really bad, um, and this is a, a not as bad, but you're in Ohio winter, and you're, you're, you know, you're stuck in your house for three days, that is not the time to figure out that you're claustrophobic. That is not the time to figure out that you don't like the cold. And that is certainly not the time to figure out that you have no way of staying warm. So, you know, prepping for me is a huge mental health booster. Well, and, and, and on that, I mean, okay, I take blood pressure medicine, and what cracks me up is when we get these ice storms, and all of a sudden, boom, it's like, okay, nobody's, nobody's going, we don't get, we get snow where we're at, but we more or less get ice. Right. And when all of a sudden, you know, you get a foot of snow over three days, which for it's us is, is big, it's like, well, let's just not go anywhere. You know, okay, well, the limb's going to fall, and it's going to take out the power. You know, this for us is fun. Oh, yeah. Our blood pressure drops because, like, well, what are you doing? Well, I hear there's a bad ice storm coming. Where are you going? I'm going to go down to the shop, and I'm going to get the generator. I'm going to put it up here in the barn close to the house. There you go. Just in case, just so we can have some lights and run the refrigerator a little bit, keep the stuff frozen, although you're not worried about freezing because everything's frozen. But it's like, you know, and well, what about well, how are we going to stay warm? Well, we got two cords of wood, and we got a wood-burning fireplace. You know, well, what are we going to eat? Well, you know, we've got a wood-burning fireplace. We can put food on. It, it really, as, as, as you deal with all of this stuff, 
it, it lowers your stress. It makes it it's fun. Everybody else is running to the store to get a loaf of bread, and I don't know what the deal is psychologically. Something happens. Oh my God! You know, you know the the, the stores are going to be shut down, or you know we got an ice storm. Everybody has to go get bread and milk. Yep. I don't even drink milk, but somebody had to go get milk. Damn it! I'm like whatever. We were in Florida for one of the hurricanes that was coming. I remember which one. It was a cat, cat three, middle cat three kind of thing. And, and we were set up. We had everything good to go. We weren't worried about it. And we were getting some stuff together. And we were, I think our wife was making one of the rice dishes. And we were like, hey, we're out of soy sauce. Well, no big deal. I'll just run to Publix and get some soy sauce. And I completely forgot, I completely forgot that not everyone was set up the same way we were. And, you get the, and the people that lost their mind, they're fighting over grapes. People that didn't even eat grapes. You could tell they didn't eat grapes. <laughs> fighting over grapes. And I'm like, man, I just came here for some soy sauce, but I didn't realize I was going to get entertainment too. You know, and the lines were out the, the door. And I'm like, guys, this is a hurricane. We knew it was coming three days ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then what's, what's gone is the milk is gone, the bread is gone, and the cases of water are gone. And they're fighting over the other stuff. And nobody wanted soy sauce, so I was good to go. There's plenty of soy sauce for me. Yeah. But it's just people were fighting over ridiculous stuff. And I just, you know, walked through the line and just walked out shaking my head. And, and I probably should have been more sympathetic or whatever at the time. But it was just kind of, this is why we prepare. So we're not in that angry mob when people shoot each other over grapes. I don't think anyone got shot that visit. But yeah. it was just kind of one of those, this is where, you know, angry mobs come out. And then suddenly the hurricane is not the disaster. It's the people that are causing the problems. Yeah, well, see, and, and you know, I'm I'm in a different scenario than you. Is that I'm not I'm not active duty anymore, so therefore you can't necessarily do some of the stuff I do. Yeah. But I've got a pantry, a huge pantry that's just full of food. So when I run out of something, you know, it, I'm not driving 15 miles to the store because I'm out in the woods. Mm-hmm. So I'll go down to the pantry and I'll steal it from the pantry, but I'll write myself a note that I took it. Yep. Next and time, then, two more cans. Right. I right. I get the one that I the one that I took, and then I have to upgrade one more to add to my preps. Absolutely. Right. So it's a, it's, to me, it's a 401k loan situation. There you go. So. That's one of the things I miss. Is the, I don't know if I've ever had it. I've always been a military family, so I've always moved every couple of years. And so the downside is I don't get to have the big pantry, but I, you get a pretty good pantry and a pretty you know, full freezer. And then every time you move, you go through and you go, hey, we had this. And so you end up, every time we move, we end up giving stuff away, which is awesome. Right. Um, and, and I enjoy that. Uh, and it's also, that's kind of the other part of why I prep is so that it's not all about me. Here's a chance to give back to other people. Hey, the guy comes up and he needs a drink of water on the side of the road. I've got water for him. Right. You know, we can we can give and we can help. And then we get to our next base. We consider what worked well last time, what didn't work well, what do we need to upgrade. You know, what was just extraneous junk that was kind of silly for us to have. You know, downsize what we need to downsize, reevaluate, and then rebuild back up. And it's it's a cycle. It's what we do. Right. Right, I mean, and when, when when I come out and I have guys come out for training, it's like, hey, we're going to go ahead and use some of this. And they're like, well, that's part of your preps. I'm like, yeah, but I've got to rotate my water. Yep, that's why we have it. Right, it's there but for that. It's got, you know, I, I've got, you know, I was raised on MREs, and so, you know, the guy that's got a, a case of MREs that sits in his basement, you know, and he never thinks about it because, hey, I've got MREs, I'm prepared for the zombie apocalypse, which, again, I'm using tongue in cheek. You know, you open up the MREs and you go, hmm, this expired six years ago. It's probably edible. And it's probably going to have some nutritive value, but it's not going to taste very good. You know. So well, but then again, rotating your breaths. Yeah, let's back up there. Did MREs really ever taste good? Um, how much Tabasco you got? Yeah. Well, you'll see. See, when I when I was in, I was in during the transition from sea rats to, to MREs. Do you ever try the K rats, the compressed sawdust bars? 
no, the, I thought, oh, the, I think the ones I was in were the T-Rats. I didn't have the K-Rats. The T-Rats, which was just a huge, looked like a huge TV dinner, and you opened it up and it was all one thing, like macaroni and cheese. Nice. And that was for platoon size. Yeah, they had these compressed bars that were kind of the sawdust granola-ish thing. And honestly, after a couple of days of, of eating bugs, this thing tasted awesome. Yeah. I'm not sure I would ever try it outside of that situation. You yeah. Know, and, and I found that I've got an affinity for bugs. I like the ants. I like the grasshoppers. <laughs> you know, grubs I'll eat maybe. You know, but it's one of those things. If I've got rice and chicken, way prefer that over ants. Just yeah. Yeah, I never got into all the other bugs. A guy out of the 82nd... Uh, that I that I went to a school with, uh, he was a worm eater. Yeah. And he would just he would just dip it in water, get all the dirt off, and he just suck it in. Don't chew, just swallow. Yeah, that's how he ended up in the eighty second. They're all a little off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're born. That's it. Um, now you also had something about books. You were talking about some books that you want to talk about. Oh yeah yeah. So um, a huge fan of, of medical books in general, but honestly most of them aren't written for average prepper guy. You know, they're just not. Um, and I've had the chance to read a lot of medical books just because, one, I'm a book nerd, and two, I'm a doctor to make us read stuff, um, mostly for testing. And uh, I found two books that are actually really decent. Um, and the good news is their name is pretty similar. One is When There Is No Doctor, yes. and the other is Where There Is No Doctor. Right. Uh, and so actually, I've asked somebody for Where There Is No Doctor, like for a Christmas present, and they misunderstood me and they bought me When There Is No Doctor. Right. Uh, it's by Dr. Doyle. Uh, I think he's an ER doc by training. And it's actually a really good one. The, the When There Is No Doctor is really written more for the prepper guy. You know, the one who's who's got some time and some resources and some minimal know-how now to look ahead a little bit and go, maybe I should get this. Maybe I should look at this training. It talks about nutrition. It talks about fitness. It talks about psychological health. It talks a little bit about prepping. It talks a little bit about stuff to get stuff not to waste your money on. And so I really like that one um, for the preppers. Is When There Is No Doctor by Dr. Doyle, uh, Gerard S. Doyle. Uh, like I said, I think he's an ER doc. The other one I really like is, is Where There Is No Doctor. And that's more of a public health um, book. And it's one of the most most widely used. I, I you know, did a residency in preventive medicine, too. I got a master's in public health because I don't know why. Um, but it was just <laughs> one of those things. And public health is huge. If we could get the whole world with a little bit of basic first aid, Good clean water, you know, good sanitation, it, it changed your world. Uh, one of the things I learned in a tropical medicine course took a long time ago was that the whole world is covered in a fine veneer of stool. The difference is just how thick that stool veneer is. Right. Um, and so when you teach people, wash your hands, don't eat where you poop, to us in America, we're like, well, that's obvious, but most of the world does not live that way. Right. And so this book is written more towards that side of the thing. Um, it, it doesn't agree with me politically on some things. It tends to be very globalist, very populationist um, from, a, from a philosophy standpoint. But the basic basic public health piece to it is, is money. Um, you know, and very basic stuff from how to wipe to how to dehydrate or how to rehydrate uh, kids with diarrhea, um, how to put in an IV, how to do self-catheterization. Um, and one of my favorite things about this prep is it's currently completely free. Um, if you go to the, uh, the publisher is Hesperian, H-E-S-P-E-R-I-A-N uh, dot org. Uh, there's a whole bunch of resources where there's no doctor, where there's no dentist. Uh, it's got a lot of those public health related books. Um, I actually have the paper copy because uh, I like these kinds of things, but you can download it on PDF. You can read it at your leisure. Um, they've got books for 
all kinds of stuff on there. So as a, as a resource, the Hesperian publishers have a whole bunch of free, uh, they're written for regular regular Joe. You know, yeah. Even like Skin Joe, they're written for regular Joe. <laughs> well, the wording is sometimes fairly uh, rough and frank, if you will. Uh, they use language that would probably not be appropriate in certain companies. Um, but it, it gets to the point nobody's going to have a hard time understanding uh, where there is no doctor. So that's something I definitely think uh, folks should take a look at. Well, and, and when it comes to books, here, here's something I like to try to tell people for, you know, at, at some point you're going to get into, as a prepper, you're going to get into, I need information. Yep. Okay, well, you're going to get this book, you're going to get that book. Okay, I want I want to read this. And then while you're there, you know, you may want to, hey, if, if one of these books is on there, grab that one too. You may not read it right now. You may not even be interested in it. But you need a hard copy library. Absolutely. I've got uh, I've got huge books on outdoor living and, you know, wisdoms of outdoor living and all kinds of stuff. I haven't even read. But when I need to do something, I'll thumb through them and go to the category of what I'm looking to do. And it's yep. there. So, so a lot of these books, I mean, is, is about getting the information whether you have time to read it right now, having it on hand. Mm-hmm. Now, like you had mentioned, David said this a while ago. We were in a phase of reading a bunch, and uh, I don't know if the Solar Maximus was going on or something was going on, and David said, uh, we need to go get a bunch of ink cartridges and start printing these things off because mm-hmm. we didn't want to have them only in software. Yep. You know, and Dave said, you know, we need a binder for everything. So everybody started out with a prepper binder. And then that turned into a gardening binder and a medical binder, and now we each have 12 binders for all of our different stuff. Um, Another one, you talked about uh, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Yep. Um, They're really good. Um, One of my uh, favorites, and is not hard on the eyes at all, is uh, uh, Patriot Nurse. Yep. Yeah, Patriot Nurse. She's awesome. Um, I'm I'm, I'm Christian, and, and she's Jewish. But I, I really like the stuff she has to say. She she gets into all kinds of things. She gets religious. She gets a little political. But I, we've been dying to go to some of her classes. But they're not real. You know, she doesn't have them real often around here. She's another good resource. And Doc Bones and Nurse Amy, they disagree on the suturing thing. Those are one of the guys that I like to listen to argue to find out why they feel the way they feel. Um, and again, it's one of those. You know, Bob's big on this. You know, take the best, leave the rest. You know. They may disagree with certain medical treatments. Um, they may have read a study and come to a different conclusion than I did. I get way into the weeds on studies. Why did they get the answer they got? Some people just take the conclusion and run with it, and that's that's fine. I would I would pick any of these people to be in a proper group with um, versus you know most of the knuckleheads inside the Beltway that I'm working with now. Right. But again, it, it, sometimes it's just opinion. Absolutely, absolutely. So oh. I did want to mention. Um, the uh, nothing fancy. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. He seems like a good dude for the most part. Uh, kind of goofy, um, but he gave uh, "Where There Is No Doctor" a bad review. He uh, he cut his hand and he pulled out the book "Where There Is No Doctor" to try to figure out how to suture his hand. Uh-huh. Um, that's probably not the best time to figure it out. Uh, and the book doesn't go into a whole lot of details of when you injure yourself doing something silly um, with a whole lot of detail. So "Where There Is No Doctor" is not going to help you um, if you're you're running tactical operations. Um, but it is a good base baseline for most folks. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm, we're all about information, and that's Absolutely. one of the ones that's on our list to still get. And I like paper books because, again, I'm kind of a nerd. 
Uh, and the other piece is when the power goes out and you knew it was coming, whether from hurricane or ice storm, you know, you've got some time, you've got plenty of candles, sit back, read a book. Read a book about woodworking. Read a book about more medical stuff. Read a book about reworking your car engine. You know, that's the time to do it. you got you got nothing else to do but work on your preps, read some. You know, you don't have to worry about who's playing what sports and what politicians voting for what nonsense. Learn. Yeah, well, another one that I like is uh, different books like uh, One Second After, you know, reading novels like that. Of course, all of James Rawls' books. I mean, they're going to show you, I mean, a lot of these books have a lot of the medical things that have happened and what you had to do and how you had to deal with it. A lot of the novels are just as good. You, I mean, I've even gotten some of them that are zombie series because if you take out the zombies, you know, everything's still the same. You're still, you're still prepping. You're still trying to learn. The last fiction book I read was uh, by Colonel Ollie North uh, called For Heroes Prove, and uh, it's it's absolutely outstanding. And I think, for me, I, that was when I said I need to probably read less fiction because I was flying uh, somewhere, and I was reading it, and it was dated the same date and time that I was actually flying, and it was about something that was happening while they were flying kind of thing. <laughs> uh, and, and some of the politics and stuff, when he wrote it, hadn't happened yet, and now we're kind of heading in that direction. I'm like, this is getting too creepy for me. So I finished that book, and I'm like, I'll take a break from from, non, from uh, fiction books for a while and just just stick to stick to real stuff. Because sometimes the uh, the scary things that people wrote about two or three years ago are hitting too close to home nowadays. Well, see, and that's funny because that actually happened to me, and, and probably because people who are uh, military authors mm-hmm. already have an idea of what's going on and what's coming. Yep. Okay, I think the book, it was called Team Yankee. It was about a tanker. And it was about a tanker unit. And I was sitting there and I was reading it while I was in Reforger in like 88. Oh, yeah. And what's funny was the battle plan. I mean, they're giving, you know, grid coordinates and maps and all this. And I actually pulled out our map and we were on the hill next to where the story started. Nice. And what it was was we were we were when you when you in in Germany and in Europe when they play Reforger they play last year's plan. Yep. Is what they do. They play last year's plan and then the new plan is secret, so you get it when you know when it hits the fan. Yep. So that's what it was. Was this so this author had come up with what would be the realistic plan, and he came up with the plan we were playing. Nice. And and before that, I want to say I was probably twenty four. And before that, I was never really into books. I was like, all right, I'm sitting out here under this tree waiting for the next order to move or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that was it. That was where my reading took off. That's awesome. But, but again, yeah, it was scary. I actually had to go to my lieutenant and, sir, you need to get with this. You need to look at this. You need to get with the S2 because something's up. Because the, the story here is our battle plan from the briefing we got. Yeah, the, there's a lot of good stuff. Like in Colonel North's book, he said uh, one of the big things that they did for their family is, is when they reached a certain age, I don't know if it was 12 or 13, their birthday present was a Remington 870, a Bible, and a compass. And he said if you know when to use these things and know how to use these things, they'll never look for direction in life. <laughs> that, that is outstanding. That is cool. <laughs> and so I just I hit my daughter's five, and we were already picking out her Remington 870. Oh yeah, yeah. Kids, kids and guns. My son is, he's. Well, I got a set of twins, a boy and a girl, and they're nine. And uh, of course, he's inherited every twenty-two in the, in the in the house. And here, a couple years ago for Christmas, I got her a Ruger ten twenty-two. 
Nice. And I did a pink camo job on it. Uh-oh. Yeah, so, and, so now she's like, Dad, can we shoot this weekend? I'm like, yeah, we'll probably shoot before that, but yeah. Well, I'd like to have a 22 to pass down, but my wife keeps stealing mine. You know, we had the, the MMP 1522, which is a ton of fun. Yeah. Wife stole it. Uh, Ruger SR22 pistol, wife stole it, about a second. Uh, got a 1022 in a competition, uh, wife stole that one, so I ended up buying another one, you know. And so I don't know if my daughter's going to get any until my wife's going to let her hands off of them. Yeah. Yeah, my daughter loves hers, and actually, when I do uh, pistol class, or uh, well, particularly pistol classes, but I'll bring my uh, my daughter down. She's nine, and I'll do my entire classroom section before these girls ever go out and shoot. I'm like, if you think you can't do this, let me show you that you can. Absolutely. And I had my daughter, my nine year old daughter, walk out and lay down on the mat with a 22 and hit 25 out of 25. Sweet. And then she gets up and walks away. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I mean, if people can't think they can do something, it's just because they haven't been, you know, haven't haven't tried yet. Absolutely, get them out there. Yeah. Do when the situation is great and they don't need to hit twenty five out of twenty five. Right, or you know, and what we do with a lot of things, you know, with, I mean, in all of our training is we make it fun, we joke around, and we make it a little bit of competition. Absolutely. You know, so whether it's shooting or whatever else, and. And I think one of the big things for everybody in the prepping community is cross-training. I'm like, you know, we, we, I've talked with you quite a bit on, on the forum about different medical stuff when I was doing my bags and all this and that. And, that, you know, you were like, well, go a little, you know, focus a little more here and, you know, stay away from this or that. And we go into it. It's, it, you know, it, and now I've got five bags and I give, you know, advanced, med, advanced first aid training and you know, how to build a bug out bag and a, and a medical bag. And then you share that, and then you refine your process, and everyone gets better in the way they go. You know, and I look at it and I go, you know, if I, I if somebody who knows something, I'm like, hey, the Pakistani steel surgical instruments, especially like, you know, the pickups aren't that great. Well, for a guy who's trying to figure out if they buy the five dollar kit or the ten dollar kit, he didn't care about Pakistani pickups. You yeah. know, it, it doesn't matter to him. And so you go, okay, we'll teach people where they are, what they want to learn. You know, add in some stuff that you think is going to be helpful. Have some fun with it. You know, go out and shoot some 22s, roast a pig, take a, harvest a pig, you know, cook it with some of your, your fancy herbs, bring the whole thing together. Right. Some, it's a process. You know, do it as a, as a group of folks and learn what makes each other tick. Where's the limits with certain people? You know, hey, I'm willing to grow some herbs, but I cannot grow, you know, I'm not going to have goats in my backyard. You know, and, and work together. And I think the community, the proper community, helps with psychological first aid. And the, the psychological, you know, preparedness. We're really big on resiliency training now in the military, getting people ready for things that we know are potentially going to happen. You know, and I think having a community to, to work and teach each other and, you know, bounce ideas off of, that's that's where it's got to come from. You know, the whole, I'm going to go live in the woods by myself with my, you know, do all everything, you know, Uzi shotgun thing. It's just not going to work. Yeah, see, I think you really hit it right there in the head because... I mean, you're always moving, so you're always just kind of dealing with your family unit and whatever close-knit friends you can get. But out here, we're we're we were a group, and then we became a network. But that's really what it's been out here is, mm-hmm. you know, this you know this guy's got this thing, and this guy's got this thing, and and we do, we really do, we pull it all together. Um, I've been struggling with gardening, you know, and vegetables, and we've always had some. Mm-hmm. But I've got a lot more property than, than most of the guys, so I, I'm dealing with where do I put it, and I'm just kind of playing with it. And then this last year, Dave put a garden in, and he's got this little 
20 by 30 garden that is just awesome and he's getting five times the production I'm getting out of it. And I'm like, well, what'd you do? And he goes, I watched all your mistakes. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, that works. Yeah, that's what, you know, when we move, we probably look like the Clampets. You know, I've got a bunch of reloading material and plants hanging out the back, and people probably look at that and go, y'all are crazy. Um, but when we land, we just had some peppers on our salad tonight, you know, that we grew ourselves. Yeah. You know, and who's looking crazy now? You know, and it was one of those things that you learn from our mistakes, you know, and the, the downside is I don't know enough people here to make fun of their mistakes and learn from their mistakes. So we've had to make all of our own mistakes as we go. You yeah. Know? And, and over time, you kind of learn what works and what doesn't work, and... Um, and we've talked about retiring somewhere from the northeast side of Texas, but it's so stinking hot there. Um, I'm all about the wintertime. Give me six feet of snow or yeah. down and put on a sweater and call it good. Yeah, that's me. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm better in the cold, but what I tend to do is I get up in the morning and I get in my truck and I drive to wherever I've got to go, you know, two to three to four hours away, do what i got to do and come back, you know, work an eight or ten hour day or whatever, and then I'll... It's, it's evening. I mean, it's it's 6 o'clock when I get home. And then I just walk around and I water my garden and my, my stuff. Um, one of my l- most recent things, I, I don't know if it's, a, if it's one of my new fetishes or if it's been a constant, is that we got this property. We're on 10 acres out here in northeast Texas. Um, we've been here three years. And I have been adding fruit trees and berries almost monthly. Awesome. You know, so I've got... Four apples, you know, four pears, peach, plum, apricot, nectarine. I uh, just added a second cherry tree. Uh, Jack Spearco got me going, and I got uh, gooseberry, uh, elderberry. You know, so I'm all over the stuff, and what I'm trying to do is do stuff that's sustainable. Yep, they're going to produce year after year after year. Yeah, care. yeah, and kind of one of my theories is like, you know, again, like we were talking about making it fun, making prepping fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had I've had instances where you know you have people come out who aren't preppers and are more from the city, and they're like, "What are the kids eating? Uh, they're eating <laughs> they're they're eating cherries. They're not eating chips. Yeah. You know, they're eating they're eating an apple off the tree. You know, oh, well, you know, and you know, you got to holler at the kids. And what's funny is you holler at the kids because they've done something wrong, but it's not that bad. It's like, would you kids leave the peaches alone so we can actually get some? You know, or the plums, or the apricots, or whatever. It's like, okay, what's the worst thing that you know my son does is that he, we go out to pick tomatoes, and we only come back with half the tomatoes he picked. Your child is eating fruits and vegetables. What's wrong with you? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's like, where is the problem here? And I think you had a key point too. You come back from whatever it was that the day threw at you, and you just kind of find your center and focus on what's important. And grow some, grow some trees. You know, water some plants. Look at the fruit, you know, kind of reminisce about, hey, we had a great tomato harvest. My son ate half of them when they were still green or before they even made it in the house. You know, yeah. thinking about what's important, what matters. You're getting fresh air. You're breathing. You're taking care of the plants that are going to take care of you. I mean, with, that, with you know, at the risk of sounding too kumbaya, that's awesome right there. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's going to be good for your blood pressure, too. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's like I can always tell, you know, when, when one of my plants or one of my birds or one of my rabbits has a problem... Because I see them every day. There you go. Because I spend, I'll spend two hours just wandering around and I'm watering, and people are like, "Why don't you take a hose over there?" Because I've got a hundred gallon water trough that I caught water in, yep. and I'm carrying it over in, in cut out milk jugs a couple gallons at a time. And the rainwater is working. There's there's evidence that shows rainwater works better than the stuff that we get from the sewer, the, 
thing on the city lines because of what with the, has to go through the city lines. We've got to put chlorine in them or ozone in them. Yeah. Them, you know, quote unquote safe or whatever. The plants don't seem to jive on that. They well, want rainwater. Give them rainwater. Yeah, give them rainwater. It's got all the other stuff in it. And the other thing is, I get people like, why don't you just drag a hose over there? I'm like, well, because not only am I watering my plants, I'm getting exercise. There you go. You know, I mean, my my shop is a hundred yards from the house. You know, and I'll, you know, I'm like, I'm going to go down there and you know grab some beers and bring them back up so we can have a couple beers. Why don't you take my truck down there? I'm like, it's just right there. Yeah, you know, why can't I just walk? I think that's what people are missing nowadays. People, you know, we'll watch them in the, on the treadmill and we'll watch them on an the exercise bike and they go to the gyms and they all sweat in front of each other. But none of them will walk 100 yards to get something done. Right. We're, we've gotten this exercise culture instead of this active culture, this involved culture. We need to just get out and be people instead of locking each other into different pack size tanks. We're in this cubicle for work. We're in this cubicle to go from point A to point B. We're in this cubicle to get healthy, quote unquote. You know, just go outside, carry something. You know, go outside, water something. You know, take care of something other than yourself, like rabbits, and you'll find that you're taking better care of yourself, too. Right. Well, and it's like, you know, when you go to Walmart, you know, everybody, you know, complains, oh, well, there's no parking up here. Just park out in the boonies. The people who complain the most need to walk the most. Yeah, yeah. I always said that, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, well, park out in the boonies, and you walk in, and nobody's going to ding your car with a shopping cart. Nobody's going to ding your car, scratch your car with, with a door. Because yep. nobody wants to walk that far. Yep. That's good for you. Right. You know, that's so... That's, that's, I think people need to, to walk more. You know, we're so focused on, you know, the whole exercise mentality. And I'm not anti-exercise. You know, I'm a doctor, so I'm, you know, gay exercise. But activity is where the answer is. You know, taking care of other people, focusing outside of ourselves is where the answer is. You know, getting some fresh air. So, you know, drink some rainwater. You know, do things that people were designed to do as opposed to, you know, trying to take vitamins to make up for our lack. Dude, go eat some fresh fruits and vegetables. Get a balance in your diet. Get a balance in your life. Yeah, I mean, let's let's, let's be 40 pounds overweight, sit there and eat Cheetos, and in the morning take six vitamins. Yep. I and mean, then a Motrin because, or an ibuprofen because you've got a headache because you got a Cheeto hangover. <laughs> Dave calls them cheesy poofs. <laughs> yeah. You know, I still can't get that orange stuff off my fingers, so I know it's not natural. I don't yeah. Know what that stuff is. Yeah. Yeah. There's something. There's something serious there. <laughs> well, good deal. Um, if I'd say one more thing, it'd be protect your hands. Um, you know, when we're out and doing all this active stuff, a good pair of work gloves, whether they're your fancy mechanic gloves or old-fashioned cowhide, you know, leather set of work gloves, protecting our hands because they mean so much at so many levels. Uh, and even for the dock stuff, I recommend, and I carry myself several sets of the black nitrile gloves. Yeah. You know, I, you know, you drive up on an accident, happens all the time, you run up there, you want to help folks, and you walk away with your hands covered in blood, and it's usually not yours. Yeah. So I've gotten to the point now where almost every bag I own in my cars, my first aid kits, they've got black nitrile gloves, powder-free ones, just to protect me from what's out there when I'm trying to help. Um, bought a box of my Amazon for Wicked Cheap. You know, so I think everyone needs a, a box of gloves and gloves when they're working. You know, be out, be active, work hard, but take care of your hands because they're going to take care of you. Well, it's like, you know, you, you, you can have a bunch of different injuries and you can do this and you can do that, but, you know, try to try to work with only one hand or a handicapped hand because you've done something to it. I totally suturing, agree with that. Suturing your other hand is not easy if you only have one hand to work with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, people have picked on me, like, oh, well, your hands are so soft. It's like, well, it's gonna, when I'm chopping wood, I'm wearing gloves. Ding, you win. Yep, that's it. <laughs> 
Okay, well, we've stretched this over an hour. Have you got anything else or any other any other things you want to throw out there? I can already see that we're going to have an episode two to this. Oh, I think there's... there's I'm having fun, and so that's the danger. You've got me on a topic that I enjoy talking about. Um, I enjoy teaching. I enjoy learning. I enjoy reading. Um, if anyone wants to you know, shoot me a personal message on, on the, the survival website, I, I love those. Um, if you're asking me for, is your doctor crazy advice, I'll tell you, yes, your doctor probably is crazy. He is probably doing something wrong. Um, and just just know that right off the bat. Um, I do a lot of work with, with you know, tele, telemedicine, you know, talking with uh, missionaries that are in other countries. Um, and I, I enjoy that kind of stuff. But it's, it, it brings its unique challenges every time I do that. So just kind of be aware of that. Um, I haven't been on the forums for the last couple of weeks because I've been moving. Uh, now that we're up set up again, I have, I have the interweb to access. Uh, I'll probably try to get on there and be a little more active, but uh, obviously feel free to shoot me uh, personal messages through that, and that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. And uh, I look forward to more conversations because this is something that I, I enjoy. And like I said, if more people knew basic first aid, I'd be out of a job and I'd be loving my life. Yeah, well, and what I like, what I like people to do is if it's not actually discussing a doctor or whatever, if it's just general information, I'd like to see, you know, get in, get into the medical forum section of Bob's page. And have them do it there. Therefore, it's in the open because some people are afraid to ask questions for the fear of looking stupid. And, and the only stupid question there is is the one that's never asked. You know, so I, I like to see people, you know, at least if somebody asks the question, hey, you know, if I was doing this, you know, and of course you'll probably have to create a disclaimer that this is not medical advice, you know, blah, blah, blah. And none of this represents the DOD or Air Force policy on anything. I don't speak for anybody in any official capacity. This is just... This is just uh, my my two cents. Right. I mean, and this is, but I'd like to see that when people, it's this circle of, of people who know what they're doing. I mean, you know, we've got you with the medical. You know, we've got Mark the new, you know, who's really big on reloading, and we did an interview with him. You know, and just all of these different people. Dave's on mechanics. That was a fun interview, by the way, the reloading one. Oh, with Mark. Yeah, I started with five five six, and I think what I need to do is just go back to nine millimeter and work my basics out again. I think that was an awesome interview. I had a blast with that. Yeah, yeah. See, I I used to reload, and I was just doing straight casings, and and so yeah, we're 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 getting ready to start with that, and we're we're shopping around for I'm still shopping around for presses and stuff, um, and then I'm getting ready to be interviewed uh, by another podcast. Oh, not the other one. Yeah, well, well, you know, Bob, Bob's like, oh yeah, I, I, you know, I listen to two or three. Well, I, well, I listen to three. Uh, but the other one, I'll post it on our Facebook page. But when when that one happens, and really, what that one's going to be about is the overall prepper. There you go. I don't have a specialty. I mean, That's we awesome. yeah, we have other guys that are weapons guys. Dave's the mechanic guy. You know, we've got all of these other things. I just I'm single, so nobody can tell me what I can't do. <laughs> That's cheating. Mm-hmm. Now, I think, you know, there's the single guy who gets, but I've got that, my accountability part in my life, and she'll say, you know, hey, you're kind of focusing over here, we need to focus over there, and, you know, and, you know, we're, this month right now we're focusing on our budget and rechanging our budget because of how the, uh, not just the prepping budget, but the whole family budget, because living inside the belt, we need to focus in some different areas. And, right. You know, having somebody else to bounce ideas off of, you know, I bring my prepper group with me every time we move, and that works out okay. Well, yeah, yeah. See, that's that check and balance, which that is what I'm missing, and all I end up with is I get Dave. <laughs> you know, so Dave's like, no, don't fix that truck. Fix this one. Okay. Thanks so much for snuggling right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, I appreciate it. Um, start thinking about other ideas for, uh, for, for, for second interviews, and for those of you listening to the podcast, I mean, we welcome you, you know, when this thing posts, 
we welcome you to uh, jump in there on the uh, on the posting of this interview and uh, ask questions, and that may spur us on to stuff to to go over in the next interview. Absolutely. Next time, maybe we might talk about you know Ebola, MERS CoV, um, and the chicken vinya outbreak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're well over an hour, so we need to do that in a second one. So let's let's fire that one up. Sounds good to me. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, we're going to sign off from here and uh, send this over to Bob, and we'll go from there. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Gentlemen, thank you very much. I really enjoyed the parts about suturing. When they were talking about that, I really enjoyed that. I want to learn more about that. I think I'm going to start studying up on that. And they kind of reminded me to beef up my first aid kits a little bit. How about you? What were your favorite parts of that interview? I'd like to hear from you. You heard them talk about the forum a a few times. Today's Survival Show has a forum. It's a relatively small forum by Internet standards, and I run it a little bit differently than most. It's not a totally open forum, which means you pretty much have to be a listener to join the forum. How do I know that? Well, you have to send me an email. So that means I know that you're listening to this show. You have to send me an email, and you can send it to bob at todayssurvival.com. Remember that there's two S's in that address, bob at todayssurvival.com. And by the way, the website is todayssurvival.com. Send me an email. Tell me you signed up for the forum. Tell me your username. And I'll get a list or I'll get a message from you when you do that. And then I'll just go to the forum. I'll find your account and I'll approve it. And I'll send you back an email saying your account is approved and you can start posting right away. It's also another way that I use to keep the spammers out. But I really I want my forum to be one of the listeners who listen to this show conversing with each other. In case you don't know, I start a sub-forum for every episode that goes out on today's survival. So you can ask Mexican Joe and Fighter Doc. You can ask them any kind of question that you want. Put it out there. Uh, Joe mentioned a couple times putting some of this out in the open, and I think that's an excellent idea. Folks, you know, you didn't hear any commercials in this podcast, did you? The only way that my show gets supported financially, and there are bills to pay and things like that, the only way it gets supported financially is by generous listeners like you. You heard them talk about my Amazon account. Hey, there's all kinds of good stuff available for sale on Amazon. Would you do me a favor? All I ask is that whenever you make an Amazon purchase, go to www.todayssurvival.com and there is a page that says Amazon Store. Click that page and buy through my store. There's a direct link there where you can buy through my store. Amazon gives me a little bit of a fee because I'm part of the Amazon Associates program. And that's the primary way. You can also subscribe to the Survival Champions Club podcasts. Had a few sign-ups last week. Thank you. I have custom podcasts with unique material that has never been covered on this show before for only $25 per podcast or $75 for the whole collection of five different podcasts. And I'll email them to you once you sign up. You can find a link at todayssurvival.com also for the Survival Champions. Club. So, with all that said, I'm going to go ahead and bring this episode to a close. Next week, I'm going to put up a show a little bit on a little bit more on emergency kits and what to think about to keep in your home. I've got some pretty good ideas on that, and I'm going to try to get back. I'm going to do the best I can to get back to putting these out weekly. 
Uh, most of you know I'm going through some medical issues myself and also trying to get my wife through some of her medical issues. And so it's been a struggle to try to keep things rolling on time. But I do promise I'll be doing better with that shortly. Keep checking your feeds. Any way that you listen to this podcast, whether you use iTunes or Stitcher Radio, I am on Stitcher Radio. However, whatever method you use, some of you just go to the website. I know some of you just go to the website and you just stream it right off of my website. You can do that too. Keep checking back periodically to look for new episodes and uh, I think you're going you're gonna to be enjoying next week's. Okay? So with all that said, I'm Bob Main. Thanks for listening to another episode of today's Survival Show. Helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Talk to you next time. Goodbye.